Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, February 7th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. We should know, Jill, we are awaiting your presence today at Mo <laughs> News headquarters in Brooklyn. Moshe, get excited. It will be the second time I... <laughs> I go to the offices in Brooklyn, but uh, I am excited to record the podcast in person. Your quarterly visit. We have some exciting news coming your way. Uh, we're being profiled by a certain publication we'll tell you about very soon. So Jill is making her way in from Long Island, and we're uh, <laughs> excited for that. Jill, we have a uh, large stock here of snacks, thanks to Alex, my wife, who uh, sent me in with a whole bunch of them. And we made a huge purchase of Girl Scout cookies so get ready for a lot of uh, Thin Mints and Tagalongs. Well, that is much appreciated, especially given the story that we led our newsletter with yesterday is that even Girl Scouts are not immune to inflation. Girl Scout cookies are costing a couple bucks more a box this year than last. Yeah, we put that at the top of the uh, Mo newsletter. If you don't subscribe, go check it out over at mo.news. Uh, comes to your inbox daily. It's a nice addition, I think, if you like this podcast, to also get the headlines in your inbox. And yes, the headline is everything is more expensive. And for the Girl Scouts to actually <laughs> raise money, they also need to raise prices. All right. Well, save me a box of Thin Mints and I'll see you in a couple hours, Mosh. Now let's get to some news here. In a historic case, the mom of the Michigan school shooter has been convicted of manslaughter. And in another case, a court rules that Donald Trump not immune from prosecution for allegedly trying to subvert the 2020 election. To the Middle East, a plan in place to prevent an all-out war between Israel and Hezbollah. And the news on Tuesday that one in five hostages have been confirmed dead, according to Israel. The status of a deal that would potentially pause fighting in exchange for more hostages released. And guess who's back? Back again. Adam Newman trying to buy back WeWork. But does he have the money, Jill, or is this just more Newman shenanigans? We'll tell you. In media news, Tucker Carlson is in Russia to interview Vladimir Putin. And a new major sports streaming platform announced by Fox, ESPN and Warner Brothers what it says about the state of the business. To education, after a pause for the pandemic, Dartmouth says that it will once again require SAT and ACT scores. And the New York Times is out with a controversial claim saying that the most foolproof way to cook fish, the microwave. <laughs> Chill. The Monus community has thoughts, many thoughts about this, and most of them are not very good. If you do this, several thousand people have told me they want to send you to jail. <laughs> and Moshe is on this day in history. Jill, an important day in history as a president of the United States told the media to stop feeding the White House dog. All right, let's start with that verdict out of Michigan that could have major implications. A Michigan jury has found that Jennifer Crumbly is guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter related to her son's deadly mass shooting at a Michigan school in 2021. The jury deliberated for about 10 hours and found that, yes, the parent of a child who commits a mass shooting can also be held criminally responsible. The four counts of involuntary manslaughter are for each of the four students killed in her son's attack at Oxford High School back in November of 2021. Her son, Ethan, is now 17. He pleaded guilty to murder, terrorism, and other crimes and was sentenced in December to life in prison without parole. She now faces up to 15 years in prison for each of the four counts. 
And then there's her husband. He's going to be tried separately in a few weeks from now. Jurors looked at about 400 pieces of evidence, including text messages and photos from her cell phone and video of the shooting spree. Prosecutors made the argument that Crumbly was a neglectful mother and that she and her husband, quote, didn't do any number of tragically small and easy things that would have prevented all of this from happening. Really historic case here out of Michigan. One piece of evidence they were looking at, Ethan's journal, found at the school after the shooting. He'd written about a plan to cause bloodshed, adding drawings of guns and pleas for help regarding his own mental health. He writes in that journal, quote, my parents won't listen to me about help or a therapist, adding... I have zero help for my mental problems, and it's causing me to shoot up the effing school. It also turns out that Jennifer Cromley took her son Ethan to the shooting range just days before his mass shooting. Now, she did claim during the trial that it was her husband who had purchased the gun used in the shooting and was responsible for storing the pistol. At the same time, Crumley and her husband had been called to the school two hours before the attack after Ethan wrote troubling things on a worksheet like the words, blood everywhere. A counselor said he was concerned about Ethan's mental health, but the parents decided to let him stay in school that day and did not search his backpack, which had a gun inside. There were also text messages that were featured during the trial between Crumley and friends and colleagues that suggested she was more concerned with her horses than her son, and that also she was preoccupied with an extramarital affair she was having as opposed to issues her son was having. And then there's another piece of evidence. When the school notified Jennifer Crumley and her husband that Ethan had been searching online for ammo on his phone, Jennifer Crumley texted her son, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught. So a lot of evidence here that clearly led the jury to make this guilty call. But it wasn't necessarily a slam dunk case. The county prosecutor, Karen McDonald, who had made the decision to charge Ethan's parents in the first place, said that even members of her staff had actually pushed back on her about it. And part of that goes back to what Crumbly's lawyer had argued in her defense, basically that parenting is a tough job and that no parent is perfect. Her attorney saying, quote, this case is very dangerous for parents out there. She told the jury on Friday, I am asking that you find Jennifer Crumbly not guilty, not just for Jennifer Crumbly, but for every mother who's out there doing the best that they can, who could easily be in her shoes. A professor from Michigan Law School told The New York Times after the verdict, I think there are going to be a lot of parents out there who think if I have a troubled kid and I'm doing my best, at what point is his or her behavior no longer my responsibility? Yeah, a lot of important questions here. But first, I just want to note, Chelsea, as you mentioned, Crumley's attorney. There have been a lot of questions uh, and commentary about Crumley's attorney. Her name is Shannon Smith. Basically, that she was a pretty terrible representative for Crumley. There's a lot of clips on social media about the attorney's bizarre behavior in court, quoting Taylor Swift, cracking jokes, carrying out her full beauty routine in front of the judge. The attorney, Smith, here also talked about getting confused often, making mistakes in court. She also uh, spoke to the jury about a hypothetical that if her son was sending nude pictures of himself to a girl, that she should not be guilty for her son sending a child pornography. And again, that's just the beginning of it. There are, again, dozens and dozens of examples of the lawyer here uh, conducting herself in a, in a bizarre manner at times. So look out for uh, Jennifer Crumley to potentially call for a new trial here on the grounds that her attorney wasn't a proper representative. Again, not saying that Crumley is not guilty here, but that her lawyer sort of sealed her fate. As far as the ramifications for the case that you also brought up, this is a case that is being closely watched because of how this could impact 
other cases. It's a bit of a test case here for prosecutors trying to hold the parents accountable for enabling violence by their children. Crumley is the first parent in the U.S. to be charged over a mass school shooting committed by their child. In the last few months, parents whose children carried out gun violence in other states have pleaded guilty to charges of reckless conduct. Now, beyond school shootings, there have been a few cases in the last few months of parents whose children carried out gun violence in other states, and the parents have pleaded guilty to charges of reckless conduct or neglect. The charges here, involuntary manslaughter, are more serious against Jennifer Crumley. Some have criticized it, questioning why school officials weren't charged as well. An independent investigation last year alleged multiple failures from the school system, including allowing Ethan to return to class without checking his backpack. So wait to hear more out of this case. But given, Jill, just how many of these school shootings we've been experiencing in the last couple of years, it will be interesting to see whether other parents are prosecuted. And hopefully the effect here is that parents will be more attentive to their kids when they're experiencing these types of mental health issues. All right, we have a lot more coming up in today's podcast. A couple of interesting business headlines uh, coming your way. But first, we want to thank our sponsors this week. We begin with Factor Meals. We've been using them in our house lately. We still want to eat healthy and nutritious, uh, but sometimes you just don't have the time with children, as many of you know. And so that is why we are very excited to have Factor on as a partner here, offering an incredible discount to the Mo News community. Factor can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved meals. They're delivered, ready to eat, straight to your door. They go straight in the fridge. They're never frozen. You have them for a number of days, and after a couple minutes in the microwave, they're ready to go. You can skip that trip to the grocery store, the chopping, the prepping, etc. Still get the flavor, still get the nutrition. There are more than 35 weekly meals to choose from. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing several meals a week. You can pause, reschedule them, etc. They also have juices, shakes, smoothies, ready in two minutes or less. Head to factormeals.com slash monews50. That is factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R, meals.com slash monews50 to get 50% off. And now to Athletic Greens, we're always talking about health trends and food trends, and it is hard to get all of your nutrients. Well, one way to get all of the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick, and it lets you get on with your day, knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. I drink it in the morning. Mosh, one of my friends, always likes to say that he thinks of it as his insurance policy for the day, meaning he's already got all of his good stuff covered in the morning and not that he could pig out in the afternoon, but at least he knows he's got all the good stuff covered. Now, with your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription and try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read from Politico. A federal appeals court ruled Tuesday that former President Trump and indeed any other former president can be prosecuted for alleged crimes they committed while in office. Trump's attorneys had been arguing that he has absolute immunity for anything he did as president, even after he leaves office. 
the unanimous 57-page decision from a three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is a major win for special counsel Jack Smith. He is looking to put Trump on trial this year on federal felony charges stemming from his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Trump quickly vowed to appeal the decision, which could be at the Supreme Court by Monday. So back to this decision here, the judges wrote, quote, for the purpose of this criminal case, former President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant. But any executive immunity that may have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against this prosecution. The ruling affirms U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin's conclusion that former presidents can be prosecuted for crimes that they committed in office even if those alleged crimes arguably related to their official duties. Trump had been arguing that former presidents could not be prosecuted for such actions without first being impeached and convicted by Congress. So you had the district judge who ruled that he's not immune from prosecution for what he did during president. And then it went to the appeals court here, the three-judge panel, which also ruled the same way. So they could go directly to the Supreme Court. One other thing Trump could do is he could ask the full circuit, the full uh, judge panel in the Court of Appeals to rehear the case, given that only three of them initially ruled on it. Either way, this is helpful to Trump as he tries to delay a trial here. The trial was supposed to begin on March 4th, but they had to cancel that date because of uh, this appeal related to uh, his argument that he shouldn't be prosecuted for anything. He did as president that he has immunity for life. But it is notable here that this appeals court ruling was unanimous, that all three, the two liberals and the conservative, all ruled that no presidents do not have immunity for life. So that would indicate that a full panel of the appeals court probably rules the same way. The big question is, does the Supreme Court rule that way? And that's just one of the cases they're dealing with related to Trump. They have that other case coming up soon related to Colorado kicking Trump off the ballot. So a couple of key Trump cases going to the highest court in the land. We should note the judges that ruled yesterday, two appointed by Biden, one appointed by George H.W. Bush, and they all ruled unanimously that longstanding doctrines of immunity for presidents from civil lawsuits related to their official duties do not extend to alleged criminal acts and certainly not to a former president. You're just a regular person again. They rejected Trump's claim of categorical immunity, noting that even President Nixon, after he resigned, had to get a pardon from President Ford to ward off potential criminal charges during Watergate. And they also rejected the argument from Trump that he would have had to be impeached and convicted by Congress to then be eligible for a crime. These are the arguments we told you about recently, where one of his judges was asked a hypothetical about him committing any crime, including murder or killing people or assassinating people while president. And the attorney for Trump effectively argued, yeah, he's immune. He's the president. The judge is clearly not looking kindly upon that argument. The Trump spokespeople uh, continue to repeat their claim that this is a bad precedent to set, that this will mean that all former presidents will be prosecuted by their political enemies in the future. So we'll see what happens here. Again, this delays the trial. And of course, if Trump is elected in November, this case would completely go away, uh, even though he doesn't have immunity, because he would be running the Justice Department and could kill the two federal cases. So the classified records case and this election interference January 6th case. Heading overseas to the Middle East from Axios, the U.S. and four of its European allies, France, the U.K., Germany and Italy, hope to announce in the next few weeks a series of commitments made by Israel and Hezbollah to defuse tensions and restore calm to the Israel-Lebanon border, preventing a war between Israel and the Hezbollah terrorist group, which operates freely in Lebanon, 
has been a key objective for the Biden administration in its efforts to prevent the fighting in Gaza from expanding into a much wider regional conflict. Hezbollah began the most recent round of fighting by attacking Israel in the aftermath of the Hamas attack. As a way to show solidarity with the group, U.S. concerns about an all-out war between Israel and Hezbollah grew last month after skirmishes along the border escalated following the Israeli assassination of a senior Hamas official in a strike in Beirut. While tensions have decreased slightly in recent days, the U.S. still wants to get understandings between the parties to ensure that the fighting stops. So this deal, and again, uh, potential deal, because we should mention everything in the Middle East is uh, very up in the air until there's a deal, until both sides agree, um, as we've been covering varying deals here in recent months. But the expectations are that there would be a commitment by both parties to stop skirmishes on the border that have been taking place for about four months now, that uh, it would be based on the principle of freezing in place. So Hezbollah would not have to withdraw its forces, but only commit to not send them back to areas along the border. Instead, the Lebanese military would send troops to the border area with Israel. We should note, though, that the Lebanese military, historically very weak. Hezbollah, while it's only a party, a group within Lebanon, uh, has a much more overwhelmingly uh, powerful military force than the Lebanese national military, sort of the way things have worked there for a while in Lebanon. The U.S. has asked Israel to stop overflight of its fighter jets over Lebanese airspace, as part of this deal, Israel would also commit to pulling out some of its forces from the border. It's been amassing over several months. Uh, the hope here is to get Israeli citizens, uh, Lebanese citizens back into their homes. Tens of thousands of them on both sides of the border are uh, not able to return to their homes as this uh, fighting, this low-grade war, you could call it, has been taking place. Israel has said now for a while that it is not intending to initiate a war with Lebanon, but is concerned Hezbollah is planning a major attack. Uh, obviously, uh, the lessons here for the Israelis off of October 7th is not to wait around, but potentially be preemptive. At the same time, Hezbollah has been underestimating this, basically just telling the Americans, just make sure that uh, despite everything going on, Israel shouldn't launch a full-scale war against us. The U.S. telling Hezbollah leaders, we don't control the Israelis here, especially if you guys miscalculate. Also in the Middle East from the New York Times, Israel says more than one in five hostages in Gaza are no longer alive. This news coming as Israel and Hamas seem to be inching closer to a deal to free hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners and a ceasefire. Israeli intelligence officers have concluded that at least 30 of the remaining 136 hostages captured by Hamas and its allies on October 7th have died since the start of the war. The military spokesperson saying, quote, we have informed 31 families that their captured loved ones are no longer among the living and that we have pronounced them dead. As of right now, they haven't confirmed the identities of those 31 in an official statement. Uh, this has been talked about, though, uh, for a while in Israel, that not all the hostages are expected to come home alive or even alive at this moment. Though the story did get a lot of attention in the American media uh, over the last day, Israeli intelligence officers also are assessing unconfirmed information that indicate that another 20 hostages beyond that may have also been killed. So it could be up to 50 here. Uh, that are no longer alive, the bodies being kept by Hamas, though, uh, to be used as part of a prisoner exchange in a ceasefire deal with Israel. Officials say that many of them are believed to have been killed on October 7th, and then again, their bodies held for the past few months. And it comes as the negotiations continue between the two sides. The Qataris uh, came out on Tuesday saying that Hamas has put forth a counteroffer 
And uh, Tony Blinken right now, the Secretary of State, is in the region. He'll be in Israel today, uh, where uh, that'll be among the subjects he's discussing with Israeli senior officials. From the Hill, conservative commentator Tucker Carlson said Tuesday that he secured an interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin and that he plans to publish it in the near future. This sit down will mark the first time a member of Western media will interview Putin since Russia's 2022 invasion of Ukraine that sparked the ongoing war between the two countries. Carlson posted a video to X explaining why he's doing this interview. We are not encouraging you to agree with what Putin may say in this interview but we are urging you to watch it. You should know as much as you can. And then, like a free citizen and not a slave, you can decide for yourself. Now, Carlson didn't specify when the interview will publish, but he was extremely critical of the American media and the U.S. government for what he described was blind support for Ukraine. Carlson, for a while now, has been saying extremely positive things about Vladimir Putin, among other authoritarian leaders, uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary, he's been a big fan of for a couple of years now, and has really been trying to push the other side here, uh, that Putin is misunderstood, and that Zelensky is the problem. At times using uh, pretty misleading information, though, I should say. Carlson, as we covered last year, was fired from his job at Fox News and has been building his own independent media outlet, uh, putting out shows on Twitter, or X as they call it now. So we'll be looking out for clips there. And Jill, I should mention, you know, he talks about the American media ignoring the Putin perspective. One of the issues the American media has is that when journalists go over there, sometimes they end up in jail by Vladimir Putin's authorities. Evan Gershkovich of the Wall Street Journal and another American right now are currently being held in prison on trumped up spy charges, when in fact, it appears they were just there reporting. Uh, Putin has made it incredibly challenging for reporters to report within Russia. And so uh, that's one of the issues. So Carlson can say his piece. But ultimately here, you've seen a couple American reporters who literally are behind bars for God knows how long for trying to do just that. Some business news now from CNBC. Adam Newman wants to buy the real estate company WeWork out of bankruptcy. WeWork, of course, is the company that Newman co-founded in 2010 and that ousted him nine years later. Newman said he has the support of, quote, a well-known capital source, including Dan Loeb's third point. But the hedge fund told CNBC that it had not committed any financing and that discussions with Newman were, quote, preliminary. Newman and his startup, Flow, had consistently been expressing a sincere interest since December of 2023 to buy WeWork. A spokesperson for the company says, WeWork is an extraordinary company. As such, we receive expressions of interest from external parties on a regular basis. We and our advisors always review those approaches with a view to acting in the best interests of the company. Those efforts have stretched even further back than December. According to this letter, Newman had tried to arrange financing of up to a billion dollars back in October of 2022, but at the time was rebuffed by the former WeWork CEO. So apparently Newman's been working on this for a while. He's frustrated. He hasn't heard back. He doesn't know if he has the funding. And so clearly he went public here trying to force WeWork's hand, especially as WeWork has filed for bankruptcy uh, in the last couple months. This is his brainchild until he was forced to step down, seed control, though we should note he got a $1.7 billion payout to go away uh, based on his relationship with the company. But now he's back. WeWork is dealing with trying to renegotiate its leases with hundreds of landlords, again, file for bankruptcy here. And Newman did uh, oversee it from infancy through a $47 billion valuation. That's what it was valued at at the peak there in 2019 as they were going public. 
But then many questions were raised about how well he was managing or not managing the company, how he controlled the company. There have been multiple streaming series put out about this, including uh, Jared Leto playing Adam Newman, Jill, which I thought Jared did a very good job playing Newman. So we'll see here uh, what comes of this. Again, Newman is known to exaggerate and push the boundaries of truth. But at the same time, we work not in the uh, best state of affairs right now. So definitely a story to watch. From the New York Times, Dartmouth College announcing that it would again require applicants to submit standardized test scores starting next year. This is a significant development because other selective colleges are now deciding whether to do so as well. Like many other colleges during the COVID pandemic, Dartmouth dropped its requirements that applicants submit an ACT or an SAT score. But now with the pandemic over and students again able to take the tests, Dartmouth's admissions team was thinking about reinstating the requirement. The school's new president wanted to know what the data had to say about it. So she asked three Dartmouth economists and a sociologist to dig into the numbers. And one of their main findings was that test scores were a better predictor than high school grades or student essays and teacher recommendations of how well students would fare at Dartmouth. And the evidence of this relationship is large and growing. A second finding was more surprising. During the pandemic, Dartmouth switched to a test optional policy in which applicants could choose whether to submit their ACT and SAT scores. And apparently this policy was harming lower income applicants in a specific way. Yeah, the researchers were able to analyze the test scores even of the students who had not submitted their test to Dartmouth. Apparently, colleges can see the scores after the admissions process is finished, and many lower-income students turned out made a strategic mistake. They withheld test scores, thinking that they would have hurt their admission when, in fact, they would have helped them get into Dartmouth. They wrongly believed that the scores were too low. Apparently, the university would have wanted to see their test scores. It shows that they're trying to overcome uh, various issues. Jill, it's an interesting debate that we've been following here because a lot of the rhetoric in the past couple of years is that mandatory testing, standardized testing is uh, discriminatory. But it turns out that you're now seeing multiple studies that it turns out that the standardized testing is, in fact, non-discriminatory. In fact, at the University of California, they commissioned a study on test scores and found that they were actually very useful tools to find out who would be successful within the UC system and found they were non-discriminatory. And then UC actually ignored its own advice and still isn't using test scores. So it'll be interesting to see uh, this sort of reversion here to test scores as universities want to ensure that if you get in, that you can actually succeed once you're there. And it appears here that the testing... uh, is effective in determining who's going to make it and who's not. From the Wall Street Journal, Fox, ESPN and Warner Brothers Discovery are creating a joint streaming platform to share sports assets, a move that comes as the price of sports rights is dramatically increasing. The standalone service will be available to ESPN Plus, Hulu and Max subscribers, and each company will own one third of the product. This is according to people familiar with the matter. The still unnamed platform is essentially a sports streaming bundle, and it's expected to launch later this year. ESPN is still exploring options for a strategic partner. In July, Disney's chief executive, Bob Iger, announced that he was looking for a strategic partner for the sports network and was open to selling an equity stake. So as we've been telling you intermittently here, The future of cable is bleak. They're not seeing much profit there, any growth there. It's really a matter of how quickly they're going to continue to lose subscribers and viewers. So all these networks have to figure out the future here. And it comes as sports rights from the leagues are getting absurdly expensive. 
Uh, ESPN has actually been in talks here with the NFL, the NBA, the NHL about a strategic partnership. And they're figuring out their streaming future at ESPN, especially as Disney, Bob Iger, not so interested in it, not seeing profitability there. Uh, Right now, they believe they're going to turn ESPN into a direct-to-consumer, straight into your homes, non-cable entity, once the cable world falls below 50 million households, which could happen here in the next couple of years, when cable was peak was nearly 100 million homes in America, and now it's approaching nearly half that, uh, slowly but surely. Uh, when talking about sports rights here and how expensive they've gotten, ESPN and Warner Brothers Discovery, TNT, they own TNT, are both in the midst of renegotiating their deal with the NBA. Right now, some believe an NBA rights package could cost upwards of $80 billion over the next decade. And then the NFL just renegotiated with CBS, ESPN, NBC uh, for a $100 billion deal. So these networks, while they're bringing less money from cable entities, are having to pay even more for sports rights. So Jill will look out for this new sports streaming entity and what it could mean. And it's interesting that it's a partnership Uh, between Fox, ESPN, Warner Brothers, all competitors here, sort of reminds me of early Hulu, which was a cooperative amongst multiple networks. And Moshe, now to quite a controversial story from the New York Times in its cooking section, which says that the most foolproof way to cook fish, the microwave. I know the Mo News community has been blowing up our Instagram account with thoughts about this, and most are not very good. You can say that, Joe. <laughs> so back to the Times, their review claims that the microwave can turn out perfectly cooked salmon in less than 10 minutes. While it has long been relegated to reheating leftovers and making popcorn, the microwave, undeniably the most unsung method of cooking fresh fish, particularly salmon, the Times says just add salmon, water, and salt to a microwave-safe dish, cover, cook for three or four minutes, and let it rest for the same amount of time. And what emerges, they write, are buttery, flaky fillets, rich in flavor, that require no oil or messy cleanup at the touch of a few buttons. It takes about 10 minutes. They say you can even swap the water for wine or stock. You could throw spices into the liquid (laughs) to give it this fresh restaurant quality. Yeah. So, Moshe, I will turn it over to you because your wife is quite the cook. I'm wondering what you guys think. Never. I think uh, I I can't imagine a scenario where this would even be remotely considered. Jill, would you microwave fish? As I messaged you last night, I wouldn't for the sole reason of the smell. This that I just kind of every once in a while I reheat fish in the microwave and it and it stinks. Right, right. I mean, the reheat, I understand some people asked about this. Like you made fish, you're reheating it. I get it. But you would have to renovate your kitchen every time you cook fish from scratch. And that just seems like a costly way to cook fish. Jill, (laughs) this is the deal. We did a poll over on the Mo News Instagram account yesterday. And 90% of the Mo News community uh, says they would do one of three things if they found out a loved one was cooking fish from scratch in the microwave. They would either stage an intervention, call 911, or disown that family member or friend. Uh, Only 10% went with our option, yum, What's the issue? But Moshe, it turns out that there's actual science behind this, that that microwaves are the best way to cook fish. Yeah, according, again, according to the New York Fake News Times, uh, microwaves are well-suited <laughs> to cook fish because <laughs> fish's natural water content absorbs the appliance's electromagnetic waves. Anyway, they go on and on about this and try to do a scientific explanation. I will, again, say this. We've heard from people who were talking about their mothers-in-law cooking fish from scratch. Also people, Jill... Who apparently uh, there's a thing about cooking fish in the dishwasher, which has become what? 
a thing in recent years. Yeah, you can wrap up fish and cook it and steam it in the dishwasher. That apparently is a thing if you Google that. We don't recommend this here on the Mo News Podcast, or at least this part of the Mo News Podcast, this side of it, does not recommend it. I will say this. Stephen King, the horror and crime author, you might be familiar with his books, apparently has been doing this for years, the microwave, not the dishwasher. I don't know about the dishwasher. And he got a lot of crap over it by the Today Show and others a couple years ago. And so some people are saying it's time to owe Stephen King an apology for uh, giving him a bunch of smack over this. Though I will say uh, the overwhelming reaction here is use the air fryer, use the stove. There are proper (laughs) ways to cook your fish. Uh, I don't understand the microwave, but then again, you know, listen, I won't be eating it, but the microwave, I think exclusively in our house is for popcorn and reheating things, not for cooking things from scratch. Moshe, I think what we should really do as journalists is make one piece of salmon in the microwave and then make one piece of salmon in the air fryer Mm -hmm. and see, do a blind taste test and see which one we like better. But we'll have to use the microwave over at the WeWork space to do it. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get, and, and we'll manage, and we will get, and we will manage to get kicked out of the Mo News headquarters <laughs> by using the microwave in that way. So, Jill will definitely have to go find a, another place to do it. I will not defend those actions, but an important experiment. Uh, if one of you uh, does it, in the meantime, let us know how it goes. All right. Finally, we end here with on this day in history. On this day in 1940, the animated film Pinocchio had its world premiere. It becomes one of Disney's most beloved classics. A big day for the Fab Four. On this day in 1964, the Beatles arrived at New York's JFK Airport to begin their first American tour. They were greeted by thousands of streaming fans. Two nights later, they performed on the Ed Sullivan Show, the biggest show in America at that time, before 73 million viewers uh, and really Beatlemania, if you weren't already familiar with them and into their music at that time. By the time they performed at Ed Sullivan, things hit the next level. All right, a big day in presidential pet history, Jill, on this day 32 years ago, President George H.W. Bush, Bush the father, put out a memo to the media and staff to stop feeding the White House dog. His name was Ranger. This is the real letter that he wrote that was published and processed on this day in history. The president, again, writing, right now he looks like a blimp, a nice, friendly, appealing blimp, but a blimp. It continues to read that Ranger is on a fat reduction program. All offices in the White House need to take a pledge to, quote, we agree not to feed Ranger, We will not give him biscuits. We will not give him food of any kind. Important presidential pet news, Jill. I feel like that letter would be politically incorrect right now. Like to call my dog is a blimp. 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 I just feel like this wouldn't go over well. Well, Biden has had his own issues with his dogs during this term because, you know, they've had to leave the White House because they've been biting and attacking the Secret Service agents. So simpler times back then in 92. (laughs) (laughs) On this day in media news history, recently in 2018, billionaire Patrick Soon-Chiong, who's working on a cure for cancer, struck a $500 million deal to buy the LA Times, thinking he uh, could turn around the newspaper and other publications. It was part of a number of billionaires getting involved in the media. As he said, it's harder to turn around a newspaper these days than cure cancer. So six years later, a lot of the investment here uh, has gone away. Uh, Everything that he increased and increased the staff on uh, has been reduced. Part of it, just mismanagement. Part of it, media headwinds and the state of the business. A couple uh, TV history items here as we end the show. America's Most Wanted premiered on this day 36 years ago. The show helped uh, lead to the arrest of a number of fugitives over the 20 years it was on the air. 
And finally, now a sign of the times. On this day in 1991, the NBC drama L.A. Law was the first American network television primetime show to show a same-sex kiss. This was between two female characters on the show, much talked about during that time. A later moment probably gets more attention from the 90s as far as uh, same-sex characters. 1997, The Ellen Show. She had a primetime comedy show at the time, and she comes out on that show. It leads to a People magazine cover story. And to give you a sense of where we were in the 1990s in America, ABC put a parental warning up before that episode where Ellen came out on her primetime show. That show would then end very quickly. She actually blamed the network censors for canceling the show. And then soon after, she would launch her daytime talk show, which aired for a couple decades. Most should think it was just about a decade later that Madonna, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera kissed on the VMAs. And it was, um, at the time, no big deal. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch how things that were controversial a couple years later don't seem like a big deal. And at the same time, some things take a long time that even uh, though we did see what happened in L.A. Law and Ellen in the 90s, uh, gay marriage itself uh, wouldn't become legal in this country until 2015. All right, Mosh, that is a wrap on this podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And if you haven't joined us already over at Mo News Premium, give us a shot. It's only $7 a month to support what we're doing here on this podcast, the newsletter, the Instagram account, get access to a premium podcast, get access to an extra Instagram account where we answer your questions. A lot of stuff for Mo News Premium. Check it out over at mo.news slash premium. Support us, support independent journalism, and get even more access to me, to Jill, to everything we're doing here at Mo News. All right. Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.